Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, salam, and welcome to the podcast, New Books in Islamic Studies, a channel with the New Books Network. This is your host, Shahna Saqqani. Today, we're in an exciting conversation with Samaneta Calderini about her new book, one that I have been waiting for for a very long time, Women as Imams, Classical Islamic Sources and Modern Debates on Leading Prayer, published in 2021 with I.B. Torres. Samaneta Calderini is Reader in Islamic Studies at the University of Roehampton in London, she has been postdoctoral research fellow at the Oriental Institute at the University of Naples in Italy, and she's a co-author of a groundbreaking book on women in pre-modern Islam called Women and the Fatimids in the World of Islam, published in 2006 with Edinburgh. Women as Imams offers an excellent overview of the debate, apparently controversial today, on women's leadership of prayer in Islam. Among the questions that it explores are, what does Islam say about women's leadership of prayer? And what do we mean by Islam here? What sources have Muslim scholars used historically to answer this question? And what do those sources say exactly? And also, in some cases, what changes have those sources undergone? What are the conditions under which women can lead prayers, if at all? And what types of prayers can they lead? Do Sunnis and Shias differ on the matter? And perhaps why? How do contemporary Muslims respond to and deal with this question? For Calderini, contemporary discussions of women-led prayers reveal a lot about Islam generally, including questions of religious authority, conceptions of tradition in the past, and so on. But it especially brings to light the role that the past plays in contemporary Muslim attitudes about the ways that the normative past is imagined, even when textual scriptural evidence is contrary to the dominant or mainstream attitude. Throughout this discussion, the author also highlights the discrepancy between scriptural evidence and social mores, the latter of which, especially in this case, has in the question of female-led prayers, has been instrumental to our understanding of women-led prayers. In today's conversation, Calderini walks us through the many possible answers to the question, can women lead prayers in Islam? These answers range, as with pretty much all other topics in Islam, from, yes, women can lead all kinds of prayers unconditionally, to, no, they absolutely cannot lead anyone in prayer, like, ever. 
We discussed the ways that female prayer leadership is connected to broader issues, such as religious authority and an imagined past or consensus. We also talk about some of the Muslim women who have, both historically and in more recent times, led prayers, as well as scholars and other authoritative figures who endorse female-led prayers. Before I give away any more of this discussion, here is my interview with Simonetta. Hi, Simonetta. Thank you so, so much for joining me today to talk about your wonderful book, Women as Imams, Classical Islamic Sources and Modern Debates on Leading Prayer. I loved it. I'm, I'm so excited that it's out. I could not wait to, to read it. Um, it's also very, very famous in a Facebook group or it, uh, something that I found it called Feminist Islamic Troublemakers of North America. And okay. everybody's talking about it and everybody's raving about it. So thank you so much for writing this, finally. Well, I'm very pleased. Uh, thank you, Shehnaz. It's a pleasure to have been invited um, and to be here. Absolutely. So it's our tradition on this podcast to ask our authors to tell us about themselves and their intellectual journey. Could you tell us about that, please? Yeah, sure. Um, um, I've been teaching um, Islamic studies and religious studies for uh, several years uh, at the University of Roehampton, uh, London, UK. Um, my um, intellectual journey towards the study of Islam uh, is uh, the result of educational, but also cultural, spiritual, and historical context. And as you can hear from my slight accent, I'm Italian, and it is here that I lived uh, through the exciting 1970s. Uh, with plenty of youth movements, some spiritual, esoteric, others political, uh, at a time of important um, economic um, uh, and political events uh, linked to the Middle East and North Africa. Uh, probably, Shehnaz, you were not even alive then. Um, I lived in a university uh, city uh, where several Arab, Iranian and other international students um, were attending courses and they were politically and culturally active. So being a natural curious person um, um, uh, in that otherwise quite um, sheltered city, I set out to learn about the variety of cultures, of religions, among which, of course, Islam in its uh, great um, uh, richness and uh, uh, diversity. And later on, I moved to the famed University L'Orientale uh, in the glorious but totally crazy Italian city that is Naples. I studied classical Arabic, I studied Farsi, uh, as well as Middle Eastern and Islamic history, uh, theology and philosophy, Kalam, Kalsafa. Uh, after Egypt and Tunisia, my studies took me to London, UK, um, where uh, I did a PhD, I completed a PhD in Islamic studies uh, with a dissertation about uh, Isma Islamic Ismaili cosmology. Uh, Neoplatonism and religious authority. Um, and uh, the issue of religious authority and leadership, uh, the complexity, the ways in which uh, it is validated has remained a constant interest throughout my research. And of course, in the present book, Women as Imams. Um, as for Islam and gender, um, I have been among the first in the UK to teach it as a topic in its own right at university level at Roehampton. Uh, and I co-wrote the first ever monographic book on the social history of women during the Fatimid dynasty. It was a response to a kind of challenge, um, and I do respond to challenges, um, to the skepticism of scholarly uh, establishment to believe that I would not find enough material even to write a chapter. 
and the result was uh, the book Women and the Fatimids in the World of Islam. I think that's all about me for the time being. Well, speaking of challenges and, and responding to challenges, I think this is an excellent, excellent response to the kind of challenge that, you know, the practice of female-led prayers gets. So speaking of which, then how did the book come about and why now? Uh, yes, um, the book Women uh, as Imams is indeed a challenge, was indeed a challenge. It was a response uh, to um, what I think was a much needed informed balance uh, in the quite one-sided debates on female ritual leadership in Islam over the last 15 years, uh, 17, 18 years. Um, you can actually read the actual event that triggered the idea of the book, uh, um, uh, because I outline it in the prologue to the book itself. It's just one page in the book. Um, so um, what makes the book different is that I think um, what is its contribution? Uh, it's the first comprehensive monograph on the question of whether a Muslim woman can lead prayer. Uh, it is comprehensive uh, in its coverage of the various uh, Islamic legal schools and scholarly opinions. So I included the Sunni, Shi, uh, both 12er and 7ers, Sufi opinions and scholars. Uh, it is comprehensive also regarding the time span the book covers, uh, bridging the present and the past from the 7th century to the 21st. Um, and the book is also inclusive because it features opinions about women leading prayer, um, women acting as, imam, as imams, but also particularly in the second part, which is uh, covering the present, it features the voices, the opinions, the interpretations of female leadership by the women imams themselves, uh, from the better known um, scholars uh, such as Amina Wadud, uh, to uh, the imams of the Women's Mosque of America, uh, of Los Angeles, like Edina Lekovic, or the Inclusive Mosque Initiative in London, um, uh, or the works of a Chinese uh, female imam like, <coughs> for example, uh, Du Aho. Um, uh, and uh, um, finally, the book is um, different in that it is multidisciplinary and multifaceted. So I use uh, different types of approaches from historical, theological, textual, linguistic, social, um, sociological, and the discourse analysis as well. It is not only a book, therefore, on legal theological opinions, but it also discusses the way in which um, and the reasons why um, um, legal scholars and scholars in general engaged in such a debate. Uh, the discourse behind it, so puts their opinions into historical, legal, and theological, but uh, also socio-cultural context. Um, I, uh, um, I don't know if I covered um, uh, about the contribution enough, uh, or should I say more about... Um, that's, that's excellent, which uh, that actually um, maybe maybe related to the next question I was going to ask you, which is on the, the main arguments that, that are raised in the book. Um, how, how does the book, yes. Uh, yes, I mean, that's, that's a big, um, a big one. <laughs> um, yeah, um, what I can say is that um, um, the book uh, is, as you, as you saw, as you read it, is multi-layered and rich. Uh, it is uh, uh, exhaustive, um, um, and uh, therefore it, it includes many arguments. Um, it analyzes critically uh, the, the, 
different sources and approaches. And one of the main points, I think, or the main achievements, um, according to some of the um, uh, reviews and readers' comments, is that it challenges long-held assumptions, such as, for example, that on the claim, the unanimous legal consensus um, among Muslim uh, legal scholars against the legitimacy of female imama. Uh, the book includes sufficient examples uh, to contradict uh, such a claim, and maybe we can talk about it a little bit uh, later. But definitely uh, the book shows that there is, and there has never been, a unanimous consensus uh, um, um, about the issue of uh, um, uh, female uh, leadership prayer. So um, main arguments, well, when it comes to the main sources that I use, um, uh, you know, among them obviously is hadith, but also um, uh, fiqh um, works. Well, when it comes to hadith, uh, the book obviously explores the authenticity, uh, but ab above all the selective use that scholars made of these hadiths. Uh, and the various, uh, the different versions of hadith. And I do this by analyzing both the isnad, um, the chain of transmitters, and the matn, uh, the content. And also, of course, I, uh, I also analyze the context in which um, those hadiths were collected, reported, and, uh, um, and used. Uh, so um, one of the main arguments is that the book uh, uh, gives evidence that these narratives have a life and they use far beyond issues of authenticity and the reliability of their transmitters, meaning weak hadiths um, still have legal efficacy. They are still used in legal discourse. And this we, we might probably encounter some of them later on. Uh, so um, about the foundations, I think, um, you know, the, the book analyzes the hadiths, the several hadiths, uh, which narrate about the prophet's wives and um, his female companions um, who are reported as leading prayer, leading other people in prayer. Uh, among them is the, um, the one on the female companion Umuwarata, um, died around 640, um, whom, according to a number of uh, um, collectors and uh, scholars, um, for example, Ibn Sa'd, but also Abu Dawood, whom the prophet ordered Amara uh, to lead the people ahl, of her household in prayer. Um, so over time, and that is one argument, um, over time uh, in different versions of those hadiths, as for example in uh, 10th century uh, at Darakutni, that order, uh, the prophet ordered her, um, to lead becomes a permission. Uh, the people of her household become the women of her household. Until in later versions, the mention of Umwaraka's prayer and prayer leadership disappears altogether. So there are changes in matn uh, and in the selection of the Hadith version, which is most fitting to support a specific scholarly stance on the topic. Uh, and the analysis of these changes open up, uh, opens up the understanding and use of the text, not only in theological and legal context, but also um, historical and ge geographical setting, and gives an insight into the social understanding of uh, gender hierarchy uh, by reflecting an increased uh, conservatism in the debate on ritual, on ritual leadership. 
and of course, different tools were used to justify this increased conservatism. But maybe we can uh, we can look at that in more details um, later on. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. You know, when I was doing my research on female-led prayer for my dissertation, because it was one of the questions that I explored in my dissertation research as well, and I came across your study, I think you'd written an article or had given a talk, because I'm so grateful for all of your work on female-led prayers. Um, one thing that also struck me, and you discuss it in this book as well, is the word dar, and how in this hadith, in the hadith on muraqa, it's both, you know, whether the prophet ordered her, that language changes over time in this hadith. So the, the text of the hadith is changing with time um, in accordance with social customs and such. But also the word dar, and, and that was so striking to me and such a betrayal. Um, it, you know, I mean, it, it's infuriating, right? But I mean, I have a lot to say on female-led prayer, as you can tell. But um, so tell us then, what are some of the positions regarding women-led prayers? Because it's like you said, there's no unanimity on, on any one position. Um, so there is, and, and, you, and, and you address, and this is one thing that I, one of the things that I loved about your book, as you mentioned earlier as well, you're dealing with Sunni and Sufi and Shi'i. You're not just dealing with one particular sect. Um, or a group of Muslims' opinions, and and you are looking at historical and also contemporary, and oh, it's just it's just so brilliantly done. Thank you so much for it. So, what are some of the positions regarding women-led prayers in in Muslim history historically and maybe contemporary as well? Okay, um, well, Shehnaz, thank you so much uh, for all the praise. Um, I'm glad that um, you know this was of benefit <laughs> to uh, to scholars. And yes, the issue of dar, um, uh, as as you know, I suggest uh, obviously there are a number of interpretations, and dar uh, means many things, um, uh, not only home, not only house, but uh, you know it could be broader, and it could even mean um, more than that. It could be uh, tribe or um, group. So um, um, your question on the positions um, about the female imam, well, as you said, um, uh, you know, um, there is complexity, nuance and and variety. So I'm a little bit hesitant to, um, uh, you know, to put it um, uh, in a a short, concise manner, because I don't want to risk simplification when, uh, you know, the, the there is so much variety and, uh, and there are so many shades of opinions uh, within legal schools. Um, and even you know, within a, an individual scholar, an individual scholar can obviously uh, change slightly um, his or her opinions. So let's try and do it in a nutshell for, for our listeners <laughs> to sure. make it uh, possible. Okay, so in a nutshell, prohibition. Um, um, a Muslim woman cannot lead men uh, nor women in prayer. Um, nuances a lot. Uh, where is the prayer taking place? Uh, which type of prayer? Um, who is the con- who is among the congregation? Where is it? Is it in a mosque, in a house, etc.? But anyway, a Muslim woman cannot lead men nor women in prayer. Mal- the Malikis, um, uh, now I think the second largest madhab, um, um, uh, support prohibition, full prohibition of leadership, whether the congregation is male or female. 
Um, on which basis? Well, um, um, according to, um, um, for example, Albaji, 11th century, um, is as a result of, uh, um, um, of the female lack of perfection, meaning um, the imam um, is the guide, the leader of the congregation. Therefore, um, uh, has to be um, an exemplar, the best of the congregation, uh, uh, you know, closest to, um, uh, to the prophet, uh, to a leader in, its, in his perfection. And according to Baji, um, uh, women are not perfect. They have uh, two main deficiencies. And of course, he uses uh, um, uh, apt hadith to support that. And the two main deficiencies are deficiency in religion, deen, and in intellect. This is what Al-Baji says. Um, deficiency in religion, we are used to that uh, in terms of, uh, um, for example, uh, you know, to do with uh, um, the issue of purity. Um, uh, when a woman menstruates or when she has just given birth, um, 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 she's considered to be impure to approach prayers. So let alone lead prayer. Um, uh, so this is one of the justifications. Um, a little bit deeper, if we go a little bit deeper, uh, there is um, a, a methodological uh, reason, which is the fact that the Malikis uh, rely on what they called um, as the practice of Medina, what they believe to be uh, the orally transmitted practice of Medina. So prohibition Malikis. Uh, you may ask, how about the, the, the practice in Medina that we mentioned earlier on the basis of the Hadith on Umuaraka and others? Uh, well, the Hanafis, um, um, which is the largest, at present the largest madhab, I, I, I believe, in the Muslim world, um, shifted their position from a variety um, uh, of um, um, opinions at the beginning uh, to that of permission for women only. Um, for a women-only congregation. That is, a woman can lead in prayer, but only other people. Uh, this is what Shaibani, for example, uh, stated in the ninth century. But over time, there is a development whereby scholars believe that it is better for a woman, in fact, to pray on her own, not in group. Therefore, there is no need for a woman to lead prayer. Until we come to the 11th, 12th century, um, when uh, there is this... Uh, um, um, use of the theory of abrogation, whereby female leadership of prayer um, had been abrogated. Now, if you look more closely uh, at the sources, they don't tell you uh, when this happened, they don't tell you who abrogated it, and even what was abrogated. Um, was the practice that was abrogated or the um, desirability of, of the leadership? So it is unclear. Um, uh, if you add to this another development, that of the concept of fitna, um, which in, applied to a woman has to do with temptation, uh, then you have the you know, general uh, position of uh, um, permission for women only congregation, but even better not. So uh, it is theoretically and legally still valid, that kind of um, uh, uh, leadership, but it is not desirable. Um, when it comes to the Shafi uh, Madhab, um, um, they argue, the, the, they base their arguments um, on textual evidence, on hadith, 
And this is quite interesting. I was very excited when, when I was reading the Kitab al-Um by um, Ashafi, uh, the eponym of the school, uh, because he doesn't mention Um Salama, Aisha, and the Jaria of uh, Ali ibn al-Hussein um, um, as examples and precedents of women leading other women in prayer. And the argument of Ashafi goes, uh, look, the important thing is that uh, because the prayer is a legal obligation, uh, that obligation has to be fulfilled. Even if the leader is not the ideal leader, uh, who, of course, you know, according to the times would have been the male leader, it is better for that obligation to be fulfilled rather than wait for the ideal leader. Um, so um, this is for the Shafi, um, um, who eventually um, um, limited the female leadership uh, to leadership at home rather than in a mosque or uh, in another context. Um, Hanbali, um, this is the more recent school. Um, at first, it was legally permissible for a woman to lead women, even desirable, uh, according to Ibn Qudama, for example. Uh, no abrogation there, but <laughs> times have changed. Um, this is the uh, facade of Zaman. They have become corrupted and they deteriorated. Uh, so really better not. However, you know, look at um, a scholar like, like, like Ibn Taymiyyah, uh, 14th century, for whom female leadership of prayer of women uh, is legitimate, even desirable. So you see, there is variation. Um, um, Shia, uh, both the 12er and the 7ers, um, female leadership of other women is legitimate if the woman leads not from the front, but from the middle. Different reasons for it, but uh, this is the, you know, the overarching type of, uh, um, of argument. And in the book, I, um, um, I refer to a 2000, year 2000 fatwa by the then president of Iran, Mohammed Khatami, um, uh, um, stating um, and reaffirming the permission for women to lead other women in prayer in Friday prayer. So I leave you to, to, le to read the book to see, uh, to see what kind of uh, um, context and provisos um, are, are included there. And one, one thing is, let's remember the theory and the practice. This is something that when we look at uh, legal discourses and legal opinions, I repeat over and over in the book, because you might have uh, a, a theoretical permission of women leading uh, other women in prayer, uh, the, the practice might be quite different. So, so far I talked about um, mainly prohibition, permission for women to lead other women in prayer. How about leading men? Um, uh, well, for um, the pre-modern times, uh, um, it would be best, more accurate, uh, rather than talking about the permission of women leading mixed con congregations, um, the, the focus was on the validity of prayer, the validity of prayer of a man who is led by a woman. So is his prayer still valid? This is how they put it in, uh, in legal terms in pre-modern pre times. Um, a very um, 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 
interesting position um, is that of uh, um, the Sufi, uh, the mystic, uh, polymath, etc., etc., Ibn Arabi, 13th century. I devoted a whole section uh, in the book to, um, to the quite complex uh, um, uh, statements uh, in his uh, Futuhat. Um, uh, and basically, Ibn Arabi um, uh, argues that uh, spiritual leadership is given uh, by God, irrespective of gender, uh, of the gender of, of, of the recipient, of its recipient. Um, but as I, as I argue in the book, um, there is still obviously a hierarchical um, um, understanding, uh, both in theory and possibly in practice in uh, Ibn Arabi. But this is a fantastic section, which I really enjoyed um, uh, covering. Um, so in terms of legal scholars uh, who were not against the, um, you know, the leadership of a woman uh, leading in prayer men, um, they, in pre-modern times, they justify their position uh, by applying the concept of preeminence of companions and the methods of the Ahl al-Hadith, that is, um, the precedent found in the Hadith at the time of the Prophet. Uh, a precedent like uh, Umm Waraka, um, uh, and uh, um, uh, the, the scholars um, 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 who are not against a woman leading men in prayer include um, ninth century uh, Abu Thawr al-Baghdadi, uh, al-Muzani, Dawud al-Zahiri, or the more famous 10th century um, um, At-Tabari, Muhammad ibn Jarir At-Tabari. Uh, the author of the Tafsir, but also the Tariq. Um, you also asked about the present. Uh, very quickly, um, the arguments in favor of female imams of men um, uh, or of a mixed congregation. Well, um, a number uh, of uh, examples that I mentioned in the book, uh, the female imams themselves, uh, of course, Amina Wadud, uh, but also um, uh, USA-based Natia Jackson, Pamela Taylor, uh, I also men mention um, uh, the um, work of uh, um, the Danish imam Sherin Khan Khan, or um, words and arguments of UK-based uh, um, imams such as Asma Bol, for example. Uh, among the male supporters, uh, there are um, um, scholars like Abdenur Pardo, the chair of International Congress of Islamic Feminism, um, with some provisos, Khaled uh, Abul Fadl, um, he issued a fatwa in 2010 um, uh, about uh, the permissibility of, uh, um, of, a, uh, of, of a woman leading men in prayer on condition that men are not behind her, but on her side. Um, and others such as, you know, the Grand Mufti of Marseille, uh, Sohab Ben Sheikh, my favorite, um, uh, I really enjoyed going to the British Library to, um, to read his, uh, his, his book, is uh, the Egyptian intellectual uh, and unionist um, and activist uh, Jamal Al-Banna. Uh, he died in 2013. Um, yes, Al-Banna of the same family, uh, in fact, uh, is the younger brother of Hassan, the founder of the Ikhwan al-Muslimin. Uh, Jamal al-Banna uh, wrote in Arabic a book of endorsement of female imam of men um, um, only a few months uh, after Amina, Amina Wadud's 2005 New York uh, prayer leadership. Uh, in the book, um, um, which I um, 
paraphrase uh, from Arabic uh, some of the main arguments in, in, in my book, um, he, he argues that um, all the negative reactions to Amina's leadership mask the fact that the main issue at stake is not prayer leadership, but as he put it, that of woman. Um, specifically the assumed inferiority of women based on what um, uh, Jamal al-Banna um, uh, believes uh, to be a, patriarch a patriarchal misreading of the Quranic passages and message. So, sorry, the nutshell has become a little bit of a tree, maybe a bonsai, but I hope I have answered the most of, of, the, um, um, of the question about the, the, the positions. Um, of the legal schools. <laughs> you know, that was that was an excellent excellent summary of the of the very very different positions um, in both history and in contemporary times. So thank you. No, that was that was wonderful. Uh, my favorite is when they those uh, the, the legal schools or the individuals who don't support it, and then they they'll find a hadith, you know, like the ones that you talk about in the book, um, and they'll have the hadith right in front of them. But they'll still say, well, I know the hadith says you know women can lead women in, in prayer at the very least, but I still prefer, or I dislike <laughs> I love how much esteem you give yourself, like how much importance you give yourself and your opinions. I guess they knew they, their opinions would basically become, you know, it would, would, be, would essentially ultimately become attributed to God. Um, so they had, they, had a, they had a point. But so this comes up in our discussion in a lot of, in, in a, in a lot of your answers so far, but what does, what does the discussion or the history of this discussion and this debate on female-led prayer tell us about other issues in Islam? What other issues are at stake here? Oh, um, um, quite, quite a number of them. Um, uh, obviously, um, the issue of uh, um, female religious authority itself, um, how uh, female authority is achieved, how it is validated, um, how it is acknowledged, by whom, and how it is exercised. Uh, and there are evolving uh, meanings and understandings of uh, what a female uh, religious authority or religious authority uh, as a whole actually um, um, uh, are. Um, especially in the second part of the book uh, um, that covers modern cases of female imams in different continents, those cases um, of, of female imams become illustrations of a number of answers to these questions, answers which reflect um, different expressions of authority, um, um, or different types of women's agency in different cultures, uh, circumstances, and different times. So uh, I, I give examples of women imams uh, in, the, in the Maldives, for example, the Mudahim, uh, in the in the women's mosques, um, which unfortunately have been um, um, uh, closed uh, over the last uh, the last uh, um, years, and uh, you know they, uh, they, there are references to them being um, being opened in 1970s uh, with the state sponsorship. Then I give examples of uh, um, uh, women imams in uh, in the women's mosques of uh, central China. And I give examples of also of uh, one example uh, from Somalia, 1960s, 70s, roughly, of, uh, um, of uh, in Jabilei. Um, uh, other issues, um, well, the recurrent motif of the book is, uh, which I think is paramount as a means of legitimizing authority and leadership, is the use of tradition. 
uh, and the reappropriation of the past. Um, and uh, um, this is uh, broader than just the issue of continuity and, and rupture, uh, but it is also about how the past is constructed and how it is deployed, used in different ways. Uh, the book argues that the past is not fixed. Uh, it is a changing, evolving discourse, um, uh, as uh, um, uh, Asad, Talal Asad put it, the anthropologist put it, uh, it is a discursive tradition, uh, which uh, uh, references the past, um, is uh, um, um, embodied uh, in the present, and is projected to uh, hopefully shape the future. Um, and uh, to sum up, uh, while some of the classical arguments against the female imama are still used today, you know, the weak hadith are still used, the abrogation, um, um, the, the fact that the practice is legitimate only for the women of the Prophet's time and is not applicable to today, etc., etc., other um, um, arguments uh, reflect the modern contemporary context and discourse, especially the political understanding and discourse of fitna and dissent, uh, which um, the opponents of uh, female leadership of prayer believe will result in the disunity of the ummah, in some cases uh, linking it to conspiracy theories of the West versus Islam. So one important shift in the debates uh, in the debate is the development of the role of the imam, you know, herself or himself, especially in Muslim minority countries, uh, where the imam is not only a prayer leader, but also a counselor, a legal guide, a chaplain, a community spokesman for the media. And um, there are many more um, arguments and issues uh, um, in this book. And uh, um, I hope that the attentive reader will uncover them. Right. And ponder and think about it and uh, hopefully gain from them. And, and you do, an, the, the book, uh, it's near the end, it does an excellent job discussing this use, how the, how the past is being used and unused and revised, you know, to fit particular ideas. And I, uh, other scholars who have written on female prayers have also pointed out that Ultimately, what's happening is, you know, you come, you you first make the conclusion, and then you, you know, find the evidence. And if one of those pieces of evidence happens to be, well, this is the, the conclusion. If the conclusion is that no woman cannot lead prayer, then you'll find all kinds of evidence or arguments to, to support that. Um, but I, I really enjoyed your discussion on, on on the use of the past, and and that 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 is a part of your argument in the book is is very excellently done. Um, and of course, what it's doing to tradition and how traditions are being formed and reformed. Um, so I, one of the reasons why I love talking about female-led prayer because it tells us so much about more than just female-led prayers or prayer leadership or ritual authority and so on. It does a lot more than that as well. So thank you. Um, is there anything else that you would like to talk about before we come to a close? Um, um, maybe in another, in another, um, on another occasion, uh, you know, th th there is a lot. I mean, um, earlier on when we were having our uh, private conversation and ex exchanges, you mentioned about uh, um, uh, some of the, um, uh, the figures uh, I introduced in the book and one uh, who is less famous than others. Of course, we know about uh, Aisha, we know about Um Salama, we know about uh, Um Waraka, uh, but you, uh, you, you were quite yes. impressed with Ghazala, I think. Uh, the, Ghazala, the... she was so fascinating to read about. I had never heard about her and I did 
I, I love having a list of these women as, you know, as, as historical evidence of we can do this or other women have done it too. Yes. <laughs> well, um, uh, Razala, um, she, she's a great character. I mean, whether it is a, a kind of a, um, literary um, figure or, uh, you know, how far um, uh, it is actually historically accurate, so that, that's, that, that's a question. But the sources for um, um, you know, we talked about uh, Ghazala are historical, um, uh, and some of them are heresiographists uh, um, um, against the Harijis. Uh, she's uh, she's the wife of a Hariji leader, uh, so that, that's 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 really uh, you know probably a book in itself because it opens up the issue of the um, Imama uh, Al Kubra and the Imama Sugra, uh, the um, leadership of the political and military leadership and the prayer leadership. And it's interesting that uh, it, it's not only um, um, about Ghazala, who was obviously, you know, within um, um, issues of Haridi uh, um, rebellions, etc., etc., but in fact is a link that I established also uh, in the discussion about Um Waraka and Um, um Salama, uh, because there is a link between their status, uh, their um, their support and zeal for uh, for the Prophet and and for Islam, you know, the cause of Islam, their participation or their their will to participate in in war and their leadership of prayer. So that's that's a, a whole a new avenue, uh, a new trajectory that uh, I'd love to um, uh, to address um, maybe yeah. in the next life. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was that was the other interesting theme that that I think appears in 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 the in the, in the question of women led prayer is like how sort of his, how historically and politically grounded these opinions are, the way that, you know, Ghazala is remembered or talked about or portrayed compared to Um Salama or Aisha or Um Waraka. Um, and also one thing that I found fascinating, and we'll have to talk about it at a different point, but, um, the you know, the the Shia response to female-led prayer, I, I, I don't think it's possible, and you, and you just talked about the, the, the nuances of the different positions, but the what was so interesting to me is that Shiites appear to be a lot more open to letting women lead prayer than Sunnis, I think, are. Um, but but that response is rooted in in politics. It's rooted in in, in their status and identity as Shiites, as minoritized minority figures in, in in history and so on. So it's I mean such a rich such a rich subject and such a wonderful wonderful book. I I. I'm so glad that this exists. Thank you again for, and I keep saying, I keep thanking you, but I've been, I've been looking for something like this for so long and it's finally out. Um, so I'm really grateful. And as we come to a close, we like to ask our authors if they can tell us about any new or any current projects, research projects that they're working on that they're willing to share with us um, that we can look forward to in the near future. Uh, yes, uh, thank you. Thank you for thanking me. Thank you. Um, um, I have uh, um, two, three projects that I'm currently working on or supposed to work on. Uh, one is more relevant to, to the main topic of this book and our, uh, our conversation, and it is to look at the impact um, of the COVID-19 pandemic on female leadership of prayer and Friday prayer performance. Um, as I was finishing my book on women as imams, the first lockdown came in force um, in the UK uh, because of the restrictions and not without controversy, of course, some Friday prayers started to be delivered online. 
um, in different ways, including via Zoom, for example. And the virtual environment of an online Friday prayer during a pandemic raises the question of the extent to which gender hierarchies and roles uh, are still maintained or lifted in cyberspace. And one of the research questions I, I ask is this, is the easing of gender restrictions due to special circumstances or can it be applied to the expanding online presence of religious female preachers, leaders, uh, and female prayer performance? Question mark. <laughs> Shinaz, are you still there? Oh, yes, I'm here. Oh, I'm sorry. sorry. That, that was my project, my, okay. uh, one oh. of my projects. Okay, I wasn't sure if you were going to continue, if there was a glitch or something. And Okay, oh, that sounds really exciting. And it is so true that with the, with the pandemic, I too got invitations to lead prayers and to give khutbahs, and that has never happened before. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> so it definitely, definitely changed something. Oh, that's, a, that's, exciting. that's an exciting and relevant project. Thank you for working on that too. Um, so that is all that I have for us today. Um, I'm so glad this conversation happened and I cannot wait to share this around with people and cannot wait to gift people this book of yours um, who have been also, who are, people always ask for you know, references and resources on this question, especially when they're honest enough to know that they don't know enough about it before they can give an opinion on it. And it's, it's really such a relevant topic and such an important topic. And I'm, 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 happy, I'm happy that finally another resource exists that we can, um, we can, we can, that, that helps us better understand the, the subject. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Shahnaz, for hosting this, um, this event. And uh, thank you for asking the questions. Uh, and thank you for thanking <laughs> me and, uh, um, you know, and for being so, um, 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 so positive uh, about, uh, about the contribution of my book. Thank you, Shahnaz. Absolutely. All right. So that was our conversation with Samaneta Calderini on her new book, Women as Imams, Classical Islamic Sources and Modern Debates on Leading Prayer, published in 2021 with I.B. Torres. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you again soon.